Josiah Shute was a 17th century English pastor and scholar, sharp guy. He was elected to be part of the Westminster Assembly. And he wrote these words, Learn to esteem and value ministers who deal faithfully with your souls. A flattering ministry will ruin the people. Flattery from a minister is worse than flattery from a friend. For such a minister flatters a man not out of his goods and his lands, but out of his soul and salvation. Listen, this is not a self-serving quote. Like, listen to me, listen to me. That's not at all. It's really a call to preachers to deal faithfully with the flock. The job of the preacher is not to flatter, even though that's what people may want. Scripture tells us in 2 Timothy, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. You see, it isn't attendance that's at stake. It isn't a budget that's at stake. It isn't a program that's at stake. Souls are at stake when the truth is not preached. And so for me, to deal faithfully with the soul is to deal faithfully with the Scriptures. They are our only rule of faith and practice. In them, God has given us all we need, all we need for life and godliness. And so in other words, God reaches your soul and he reaches my soul and he cares for your soul and he heals your soul and he shapes your soul and mine through the power of His Spirit and the truth of His Word. And that's the Word that I must preach. And that's the Word to which we must all submit. Because Scripture is the inspired and the infallible Word of God. And to be infallible simply means this, that Scripture is incapable of teaching error. I'll say that again. Scripture is incapable of teaching error. God's Word is not going to tell you to do the wrong thing. God's Word is not going to tell you to think the wrong thing or to live in the wrong way. It's infallible. Now, if you reject infallibility, then you must conclude that God's Word does teach error. And then you have to determine what in God's Word is erroneous. How will you decide? Will it be the things that you don't like? Are those things an error? Will it be the things that we find inconvenient? Will it be those things that embarrass us before our culture? Or you could say, Craig, you got it all wrong. You are positing here. You are assuming that it is God's word. It, is, it isn't God's word. It's man's word. If I had a dime for every time I've been told that by preachers. Well, I'll say this. Good luck with living in a world where that's true, because luck is all you have. 
And so this morning, I'm going to proceed with the assumption that most of you believe, as I do, and not only that you believe it, but that you rejoice in the fact that God is not interested in flattering your soul. God is not interested in indulging your wants and your wishes, but instead, He cares for your soul and my soul so much that He always tells us what is right and what is true, and He orders our lives aright. Therefore, you and I must submit to God's order. And that's what I want us to talk about as we come to this inspired word this morning. Again, 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn there, if you're using a pew Bible, you will find this passage on page 1015. And when you found your place, I want to ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, this is the word of the Lord. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray now that through the power of your spirit, you would bow our hearts and our minds before your word. Through the power of your spirit, teach us that your word is truth. Help us to submit to it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You're seated. The overarching theme of these verses and this entire section that goes all the way through chapter 3, verse 7, is really verse 15. So if you look in verse 15 again, we read there, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, whenever the Spirit of God inspires a direct statement like this one, for this is the will of God, we should, of course, pay careful attention because of the pointedness of it and the directness of it. All of Scripture is God's Word, but He highlights some of the things that He says with a statement like this, almost as if to say, make sure that you don't miss this one. The Father has a will for the way we live in this world. And his will for us, according to this verse, is that we do good. That's important that we define this word because it would be easy to assume it means something that it doesn't mean or to reduce it just to doing good deeds. This word is more than that. As Peter uses it here, this word means to meet a high level of exemplary conduct, to do what is right, to be a good citizen. Exemplary conduct, do what is right, 
be a good citizen. That's the way God wants us to live in this world. And when we live in this world according to God's will, we reflect God's character. We reflect to the world the character of the gospel. And these verses and the ones that follow call us to submit or to be subject to human institutions, to emperors, governors, servants be subject to masters, wives be subject to husbands. What characteristic of God do you and I reflect to the world? What do we radiate to the world when we live in obedience to these verses? Well, at the very least, and possibly at the very best and the most needed, we reflect God's order. Order. God's order. God's order for society. God's order for our homes. God's order for our relationships. Our God is a God of order. And order is what you and I need in our lives. And order is what our world needs. Why is order so important? And why does the world need to see you and me living by God's order? I'm so glad you asked that question. May I answer it for you? You know, you don't have to recognize the name of Frederick Nietzsche. And you don't have to have studied his philosophy of nihilism to be impacted by it experientially. Nietzsche's most famous saying is, God is dead. That was Nietzsche, you know. But he said other things also, like human values are baseless. Life is meaningless. Knowledge is impossible. Everything is pointless. Life is meaningless, hopeless. Without order? You don't have to know the name Jean-Paul Sartre or Albert Camus. You don't have to have studied existentialism to be impacted experientially by that philosophy and the words associated with it. Crisis. We all know that one, right? Oh, she's having an existential crisis. Dread. Anxiety. Absurdity. Existentialism emphasizes personal, individual freedom and self-determination as to what life really means. These philosophies, these people have shaped our culture. It is our culture. We all lived through 2020 and the disorder of it. Disorder marked by demolition and destruction and smashing, and burning, and looting, and killing. Disorder. It causes hopelessness, and anxiety, and despair. That is why order is so important. Now listen to this. This is so cool to me. God first presents himself. To created human history on the first page of Scripture, in the first verses of Scripture, as a God of order. 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, says this. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now let's stay in this place for just a moment. Let's see what it could have been like if our God were not a God of order. We see in this verse that there's something here. There is substance called the deep, called the waters. But that substance is chaotic. It's everywhere, and yet it's empty. It's void. It has no form. It has no meaning. Now, if God, our God, were a different kind of God, if He were not a God of order, the substance would have stayed as it was in that moment, and then Nietzsche, and then Sartre, and their adjectives, baseless, meaningless, pointless, absurd, they would have all been correct. However, there's a second part to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What is going to happen to the emptiness, the formlessness, the meaninglessness? What is God going to do to the chaos? This is high cosmic creative drama. Well, then we come to verse 3. And God said, let there be. What? Order. Order. That's the overarching thing that God did at creation. Everything that God created was to bring order to chaos, form to formlessness, meaning to meaninglessness. He fills up what is empty and he gives beautiful orderliness to the way that he even inspires Moses to write about the creation. Do you see the order of it? Days 1, 2, and 3, God gives us the spheres. And days 4, 5, and 6, God gives us what will rule over that sphere. For instance, day 1 is day and night. Day 4 The sun, moon, and stars are created. Day two is sky and water. Day five, fish for the water, birds for the air. Day three, God divided the land from the sea and created vegetation. Day six, land animals to fill the earth and Adam and Eve to tend both animal and vegetable. God is a God of order in how he created in what he created, and in how he tells us of his creation. And it all gives hope when there's emptiness and formlessness and darkness. Our God disintegrated all of it. Is that good news? And then there's also this aspect of the order of God. It is so intimate and personal. And Adam is the prime example of that. God formed him from the dust of the ground. And so there's the substance. And then the Lord said, or the Lord breathed 
into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Spiritual CPR, that's intimate. An empty substance, a substance with no purpose or meaning, filled up with the breath of God, the Spirit of God. The breath of God gives life, order, fills up what's empty. And that's what happened to you and to me when the Spirit called us from life, from death to life. God breathed His life into the substance of our being that's intimate, it's personal, it's one to one, it's face to face with God. He gave order to our lives and meaning to our lives, just like he did at the time of creation. Think of the words of our Lord Jesus in John chapter 10. I have come that they might have life and have it to the what? Full, full life, abundant life. And now we're back to creation. Are we not? Empty substance until God. Until the Spirit of God shined His light in our hearts and showed us the glory of Christ and our great need for Him. Through the power of His Spirit, God God brought order to chaos through Jesus. He brought fullness to what was empty. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 says, For God is not a God of confusion, of disorder, but a God of peace. When we think of peace, only as the end of hostilities, we, we, we miss something. There's certainly that part. Because of Jesus, our battle with God, our war against God has ceased through Christ. But there's more than that. Because you see a ceasefire between Israel and Palestine or humanitarian pause resolution, as they're calling it, that's not peace. Peace in Scripture also means harmony, concord, and order. Peace means that things have been put in their right order. That things relate properly to each other. When we come to faith in Christ, we not only have life, But order replaces chaos. It brings harmony. We relate to God rightly. Fullness replaces emptiness. Purpose replaces meaninglessness. Just like at the time of creation. And so we come back then to these verses that we see before us in 1 Peter. And to the order that they put before us. This is God's order. And the Spirit of God that hovered over the waters at creation inspired Peter to be emphatic here, to say, this is the will of God. To be faithful to our souls and the Word of God, I say to all of us, the way for blessing for us is to to submit ourselves to the clear will of God. God doesn't call us to undo His order. God doesn't call us to redo His order. God doesn't call us to create a new order. The blessing comes from living by God's order. I'm sure it wasn't easy for Peter 
to live by the order that he puts before us in these verses. From his position, from his power as a great apostle, he did not live above or beyond what he wrote. You know what they say. Why do you become a politician? So you don't have to live by the rules that you create for everyone else. Right? That's not Peter. That's not how he lives. The church was already suffering persecution when he wrote these words. And Peter himself would be martyred by the command of the very emperor to whom he tells the church and believers that they must submit. And so while you and I come to these verses and we're quibbling over who gets to do what, and he gets to do, no, no, Peter is giving his life for Christ. And if Peter ever argued with God, if he ever talked back to God saying, Lord, I can't write that, we have no evidence of it. And I was pondering why that might be. And I concluded it can only be because of that gift that Jesus, the one who loved the soul of Peter, sent to Peter and all of us by going away. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter's words were not only inspired by the Spirit, but his life and his death were inspired and sustained by the Spirit. The same Spirit that hovered at creation. And so here it is. From the beginning of time, right up through the time of Peter, into the church, and now into your life and to my life. It's always the same. Where the order of God is, the Spirit of God is. Where the order of God is, the Spirit of God is. And that order of God, it comes from the perfect mind of God. And so therefore, it's a beautiful thing. And when we come to difficult verses like the ones before us and the ones beyond what we've read today, we tend to reduce them to who gets to do what, where, when, and how, and who does not get to do it. No, we get our backs up and we say, what do you mean I can't do that thing? Do you think, do you think that the intent of God as you know Him, as you've experienced Him in Christ, as you've drawn near to Him through Christ, is this His intent for you? Or do you think God intends for us to embrace His order by the power of His Spirit? Where the order of the Lord is, the Spirit of the Lord is. And that's the beauty that you and I can show to the world. The order of God, empowered by the Spirit of God to do what we thought we could not do and would have never chosen to do. Not kicking against it, not with bitterness, not with anger, but with, wait for it, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When you and I live ordered lives, by the will of God, our lives become evidence of the order of God. And we show the chaotic, disordered people of this world where we found order, where we found harmony, and where did we find it? In Christ. 
We show empty people where fullness can be found. And where can it be found? In Christ. We show people who have no meaning to their life where meaning can be found. It's in Christ. Where the order of God is, in that place the Spirit of God is. Not just hovering over, but dwelling within. And so I would say this to us this morning. For the sake of Christ, as we read in verse 13, for our own peace, our own wholeness, our own fullness, and for the sake of a watching world that needs hope and peace and meaning and fullness, let's submit our lives to the order of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, now we just give you now an eternal thanks for your spirit. We thank you, Spirit of God, that you are dwelling within us in this moment, that you enable us to do what we could never do on our own, that you enable us to love and to value what we might not have ever loved or valued apart from you. You bring meaning and fullness and wholeness to our lives, and we give you thanks, and we ask now that you would cause each of us to be dependent on you and the strength that you give to carry out the will that you have spoken. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.